0: Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the DiaPoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hi everyone, welcome back to Dialogue. In today's episode, I am speaking again with Gary Shiner. He was on the podcast earlier this season. I am super honored to have him back because he is an award-winning certified diabetes educator. He's a master's level exercise physiologist and he's been living with type 1 diabetes since 1985. He's dedicated his professional life to improving the lives of people with insulin-dependent diabetes and he was even named the Diabetes Educator of the Year by the American Association of Diabetes Educators in 2014. So he's been doing this for a while and I think that initial introduction just shows how much expertise he's had in for ha- such a long time. And those of us in the area of diabetes know him very well. We know his most well-known book, Think Like a Pancreas, but he's also written several other books, uh, six books, You Can Control Diabetes, Think Like a Pancreas, which there's three versions because the technology is updating and research, and so he's keeping that up to date for us all the time. The Ultimate Guide to Accurate Carb Counting, Get Control of Your Blood Sugar, Until There's a Cure, Practical CGM, and Diabetes How to Help, as well as dozens of published articles related to diabetes education for consumer and trade magazines and diabetes websites. He's a regular at local, national, and international conferences on a multitude of topics in diabetes care. He's also certified to train on all models of insulin pumps, continuous glucose monitors, and hybrid loop systems, and he's personally used every one of them that's currently on the market. He tries them all. I'm sure he has his fr- preference, but he and his team also, I see they, they review them as well. Um, so he's got a lot of very deep insight. He's also a devoted husband and father of four. He enjoys exercising, especially basketball, bicycling, running, and weightlifting, and cheering on his local Philadelphia sports teams. And I'm so excited to have him back again. Today or in this particular episode, we are going to talk about carb counting. Beyond the Basics. How to manage those post-meal glucose spikes and insulin resistance, which frustrates us all so much. If you're dealing with diabetes or if you're caring for a child with diabetes or caring for someone with diabetes, it can be quite challenging. It's not all black and white. It's not all straightforward. Um, It's not always, oh, just eat healthy and it will be fine. There are so many factors that go into this. So, uh, the, the biggest question we all have is how do you manage your insulin dose to get the best results? So Gary's going to talk about some things that affect blood sugar and insulin resistance after meals and some of the science behind that. He's also going to shed some light on time and range and how blood sugars do fluctuate with food. He's going to talk a little bit about the glycemic index, why children need healthy carbohydrates. Uh, how we can enjoy carbs. And he's also going to share some of his favorite foods that also he finds a little bit challenging as well and give us some insights to that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And it wasn't necessarily time, but if you're listening to it as it's come out, it's the day before American Thanksgiving, which I think a lot of us can relate to um, when we sit down for dinner with our friends or family for Thanksgiving and we have all this beautiful food and that can be a time of challenge and post meal glucose spikes. So I hope that it gives you some insight to that meal and many others that you will be able to enjoy. Let's get on with the show. So Gary, thank you once again for coming back to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. And I know a lot of people that have listened to you before or have read your book, How to Think Like a Pancreas, have so many questions. And one of the questions that we're often asked, and then I always say, go get Gary's book. I really do. I'll be like, here's the Amazon link for it to to help answer a lot of these questions is it's about. Eating and food and life and, but beyond just basic carb counting, because, and I know like even, even now, sometimes, you know, we're absolutely certain that we've done it all right and we've counted it right and it should be perfect. And then it just all goes crazy. Why does that happen? Is it a cosmic thing or is there really like a science behind it?
1: It's a little cosmic, (laughs) a little (laughs) science. Even if we do account for every molecule of food we consume, there's so many variables. There's just the countless number. A friend of mine, a guy named Adam Brown, he's written some books. Also, He tried to make a list one time of all the factors that affect glucose levels, and I think uh, after years of compiling lists and lists, he just kind of said, "All right, that's enough." Uh, but yeah, there's so much stuff, and and what we feed, what we put in our mouths. Uh, also there's an almost endless list of variables involved because, you know, you might think, well, it's just the carbohydrates we have to worry about, but that's obviously not the case. If somebody eats a a carb-free meal, their blood sugar is still going to go up. The timing of the rise in blood sugar can vary based on, on what we eat also. So looking beyond carbs, looking at some of the other factors of of our food and our diets is is worthwhile. We're never going to get it absolutely perfect. We're not going to really be a pancreas. We're not going to be that good, but at least we can get pretty close to thinking like a pancreas.
0: You're not going to change the name of your book, are you? No. get get close to thinking like a pancreas. Yeah, it
1: loses its cachet when you throw all those extra.
0: Yeah, Google, Google search is probably going to be harder.
1: Think almost like a pancreas. Think
0: almost like a pancreas. One
1: time we were thinking of changing it to think like a beta cell. Oh. Pancreas sounds, still sounds better.
0: No, pancreas, think like a pancreas is very mystical, very catchy, because we're all out here trying to do it and don't feel like we've always, you know, like while well, you say it's not going to be perfect, but we haven't quite perfected the art of thinking like a pancreas.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is an art and a science. There's, there's a little of both. I think that the more, more scientific we can become about it and the more we understand, the closer we can approach really doing what a pancreas would. And that's okay because we don't have to be perfect with diabetes management. Even people without diabetes like yourself still have variations in glucose. It still goes up and down, you know, not as much as it does in someone with diabetes like me. But it still does vary. And what we have learned over the last few decades is that it's all right. Uh, The blood sugars can vary. You can be a little higher than non-diabetic ranges and still be able to avoid the long-term health problems and live a healthy, productive life, feel good, and perform well day in and day out. So we do have to be realistic about what's achievable. And realize it's okay to not have normal glucose all the time. It's okay to run some highs and run some lows. It's, it's not going to detract from our quality of life.
0: When you say, I think for qualification purposes, because that can work either way, when you tell people it's okay to be a little higher or the research is saying that, what does the research say? Like how much of a little bit higher?
1: Well, I'll I'll put it in terms most people can relate to, which is the A1C, which is, you know, it's just an average glucose. Uh, A non-diabetic A1C is typically between about 4 and 5.9. So once you get up into the sixes, you're not in a normal range for your average glucose. But the research shows that once you get that A1C down to about six and a half, there's not much benefit to getting it tighter. Uh, the long-term health complications don't go down much, if at all, when you lower it past six and a half. So having an A1c somewhere in the mid-sixes is is good enough for, for most people. I mean, there's exceptions like during pregnancy or you know, if you're preparing for surgery, things like that. But otherwise, you know, having an A1c in the mid-sixes is perfectly fine. There's no significant benefit to getting it to five and a half or or even to six. Mm. We also have to balance it against the hypoglycemia risk that we're up against. And somebody who has an A1C of 6.7 with very little hypoglycemia, I would consider them to be in better control of their diabetes than someone with an A1C of six who's having hypoglycemia on a daily basis. So you got to look at the big picture.
0: Yeah, that's, that's what I often tell moms that are freaking out when they see a one C's and, and I know some that they get really tight. Like, I don't know how they're doing it They're And because maybe because they're using a Dexcom, they can see their child's numbers. My son doesn't use that system. So I can't see his, so I'm kind of living, you know, blindly. So I don't have as tight a control. Now he's a teen who has control, but, um, that makes a lot of us feel better because we are warned you know, by our doctors about the hypos and things like that. And then I was never really sure. The reason I asked that question, because I always think when I see people that are much older than my son, and then they talk about the diabetes tech technology that they used to use or how they used to even have to, you know, urine, urinate, boil it and do all this other chemistry experiment in your kitchen every time to get your blood sugar reading. And I see them as adults with little or no complications whatsoever. That gives me so much hope for the future because I imagine they probably didn't have as good a A1Cs as we're seeing in in kids and adults now mm-hmm. that have access to the technology. So, so I'm glad there's some science to prove my my theory.
1: Yeah, there's um, some luck. Uh, there is science to it, but there is also some luck involved. Yeah. Long-term complications aren't determined exclusively by glucose levels. There's also, you know, lifestyle that, yes. that plays a role. There's certain genetic aspects that play a role, hereditary aspects. And then there's, you know, just the, the, the God factor, you know just this potluck where some people are just seem to be at greater risk for developing these problems than others. But still, more than half of the risk is accountable by you know, glucose control. Hmm. The glucose control does not have to be perfect. It can be good enough if it's near normal most of the time.
0: Right. Time and range. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really good to know. So having said that, then how can we, when we're eating and, and enjoying life and all these different things, what should we Think about when we're eating food, and then I'm ta- I was talking earlier about like that perfect bolus or that perfect dose, and it's not so perfect. What should we do to be okay most of the time? What should we be looking out for, or what can we learn from you today? I know that we could we could do a twenty four hour like Gary Schneider podcast marathon and still not know everything, Maybe but what?
1: Do a fundraiser. We'll see. Oh,
0: yeah, like the former. What was it? The telethon that they had in the U.S. with Jerry Lee Lewis. Not Jerry Lee Lewis. Jerry Lewis.
1: Jerry. Yeah. Jerry. Jerry, Lewis. Lee,
0: Jerry Lee Lewis would be Music. the musician. That would be different. So um, right,
1: those are two very different people. <laughs> those
0: are two extremely different people. That's a different kind of telethon. Different good. twenty. Different marathon.
1: Yeah. Um, good starting point would be. What is your son's favorite food?
0: Oh, he's got many, but pick one he i would say there's a few things he he likes meat red meat which mm-hmm. and that's a challenging one for him so either like a good steak with some potatoes on the side or we found this amazing japanese ramen noodle place oh it's so good but there's carbs there's meat on it there's all, you know, there's fat in it because the broth and the eggs and everything else. There's some vegetables in it, but it, okay. it, well, that's a
1: that's a good challenging one that we, we can look at.
0: That's a big so if you challenging take
1: ramen one. Ramen noodles that has a lot of steak on it, for example, maybe some vegetables. It's it's likely stir-fried, so it's absorbed a lot of oil in the cooking process. So if you're able to count the carbs in a meal like that, you're a genius because that is not an easy thing to count. (laughs) You know, I I use fist measures as an estimate for determining how much of something I'm eating. And then you can sometimes convert that to grams of carb. But honestly, even if you get the carb count right, you still have to account for the effects the protein and the fat are going to have. You use the term before the perfect dose or the perfect bolus. And to me, that's, it's two things. It's the amount and the timing of the insulin. You can take the right amount. If it's not timed properly, it ain't going to work. You'll either go low and then rise later, or you'll spike up and then drop later. So the timing is pretty important. So let's, let's first talk about the protein part. Uh, If he's having a steak or a meal with a lot of protein in it, like a steak would have, Protein can raise the blood sugar level directly, Uh, and it does that particularly when you're having a low-carb meal. So if he's having, let's say, just a steak, that steak is going to contribute to a rise in his blood sugar. And the reason is that his body needs glucose. That's the main energy our body burns if there's no carbohydrate in the meal or very little carb in the meal his body is going to convert some of that protein into glucose. That's that's one of the jobs of the liver is to produce glucose when there's no carbs being digested. So some of the protein, upwards of half the protein can turn into glucose over the next several hours. Again, that's reserved for situations where there's little to no carbohydrate being consumed. Most people who have a decent amount of carb in their diets and eat carbs throughout the day, the protein is going to have little to no effect. So we don't really have to be concerned about it. But for those who are having uh, very little carb in their meals, people on ketogenic diets, people on just low carb, taking low carb approaches, then the protein needs to be accounted for. It can complicate things a little bit because then you have to start counting protein grams. And we often teach people to just count the protein grams and assume half of that's going to convert to glucose. Is it going to convert as fast as carbs would? Probably not. It's going to take a little longer. So the dose of insulin can be given a little later than usual, or it can be split into two parts. Or if somebody's using a pump, they can extend their bolus for a few hours to cover that. We see this with people who have eggs. They just have some eggs and sugar is going to go up over the next few hours, even though there was no carbohydrate with it. But if they had eggs and toast or eggs and waffles, the eggs don't have any impact on the blood sugar because the carbs are providing enough glucose that there's no need to convert the protein into glucose. So that's where we start seeing the effects of protein is with low carb meals if he has a steak and a potato, the potato is going to supply more than enough carbs that the steak shouldn't have much impact. If he's having ramen noodles with steak, noodles are providing the carbohydrate. So it's not something to worry about. But if it's a mostly protein meal, then yeah, the protein needs to be accounted for.
0: And then I've read, I think you must have this in your book, maybe even, the like per ounce or there's a conversion for the amount of protein you eat to anticipate how much is turning to to carbs.
1: yeah, it it's well, it, there's a way to estimate how much protein is in the food to begin with, but it varies based on what you're eating. Things like you know, nuts are high in protein. legumes have a decent amount of protein. Uh, dairy products have protein, plus all, all meats. Uh, you know, fruits and vegetables usually have a minimal amount of protein in them, uh, as well as grain, you know, starchy types of food. So it's, it's mostly the you know, legumes, the nuts, uh, the meats, the dairy products. And I mean, there are charts. We, we have charts we can send people that list them out. Um, but you know, I believe the average egg has about, I think it's between six and eight grams of protein, depending on the size of the egg. So if somebody's having you know a three-egg omelette, like a cheese omelet, let's say, there might be 20 grams of protein there. If they're not having any carbs with it, we'd recommend dosing as if they were having 10 grams, half of the protein that we would cover.
0: So back to our meat and potato example. And things look beautiful. we bolus bolused well. I go in and I'll check maybe at night when he's asleep. And even if I've done, cause we're on in an insulin pump, I might split the bolus or do a square bolus and try different things. But sometimes still three or four hours later, it's a disaster. It's like we didn't bolus anything at all. And then it's very hard to bring those down Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially if you're injecting, from what I understand from other parents' experience, with the pump, you can do some temp basils or, you know, slower release boluses and things like that. But mm-hmm. why is it that, yeah. you know, we think we get it right, and then like four hours later, we're we're wrong?
1: Well, it's because you got part of it right. <laughs> you covered the carbs. You may have covered the protein properly. Uh, But often when when you're having, especially restaurant meals, there tends to be a lot of fat in those meals as well. And fat has a completely different effect on blood sugar levels than we see from carbs or even from protein. When there's a a large amount of fat in a meal, it does two things. First, it slows down digestion of the rest of the meal. So the carbs are going to hit more slowly and gradually. So that's where delaying your your dose or extending delivery of the dose is necessary. Uh, is fat slows down gastric emptying? Food sits in the stomach much longer and takes longer to get into the intestines where it absorbs. If there was a great deal of fat in the meal, and that comes down to caloric content. The, the stomach is sort of programmed to only allow a certain number of calories through at a time into the intestines fat is very high in calories. So when you mix that with carbs or protein, it's going to take much longer for those foods to get through into the intestines, sometimes several hours, whereas it might have only taken a few minutes originally. So slowing down the the digestion of the carbs is part of the problem. And that that part is why you might see the blood sugar start climbing a few hours after the meal instead of right after. But then there's that other part. And you, you mentioned the frustrating aspect of trying to fix those highs and having it go nowhere. That's also caused by the fat, but it's a different kind of uh, different approach, different reason that it's happening. Large amounts of dietary fat cause a rise in triglycerides in the bloodstream. And when triglycerides go up, the body and the liver in particular becomes insulin resistant. You might've heard the term insulin resistance around people with type two diabetes, because that's one of the main underlying causes of type two diabetes is insulin resistance. So whatever insulin the body has made or whatever insulin someone has taken doesn't work as well when we are insulin resistant two units might work like one or a half a unit just because we're not sensitive to the insulin the way we normally are. So that insulin resistance caused by a high fat meal can carry on for six, eight, 10, 12 hours sometimes. I experience this when I go to the movies and get the popcorn. The popcorn. I love movie theater popcorn.
0: Oh, we do too. I think I'm going to send Aaron to you and you can just go and give him a course in it. And
1: I float in on the aroma and get my big bucket. Sometimes I get the refill and bring it home. But there's a lot of fat in that stuff. There is. And if I bolus anything at the beginning of the movie, when I'm starting to eat, I'll go low in the middle of the movie because it's so slow to digest. Mm -hmm. Not only does the popcorn have a lot of fat that slows down the digestion, it's also got a lot of fiber that slows it down too. So the bolus has to be extended. I can't give any of it up front, but the job's not done. By the end of the movie, even if things look great, my glucose is going to climb all night long because of the insulin resistance that all the fat is causing. And the way I fix that or, or counteract that is with an increase in my basal insulin during the night. On a pump, it's easy to do. You just program it in. On injections, it's a little trickier because most people are using insulins that are pretty flat for 24 hours. You can't just raise your basal rate for the next eight hours with a long-acting insulin. So sometimes we go back to an old-school insulin called NPH. You remember NPH insulin?
0: I do not know that we have
1: NPH. You never, never used it, did he? Mm-hmm. NPH is a cloudy insulin. Uh, it has molecules attached to the insulin that create almost like a time-released action. It works gradually over about a 10 to 12-hour period. So it has a bit of a peak between four and eight hours. So taking a little bit of that uh, near bedtime after a high-fat meal can help offset the effects that all the insulin resistance is causing. Uh, But pumps are a great tool. People have access to them. I encourage use of them because of tools like we can make temporary basal adjustments for dealing Mm -hmm. with situations. So again, with with a, a large amount of fat in a meal, you're slowing down digestion. So the carbs are gonna convert to glucose more slowly. And you have insulin resistance that might go on for the next six to 10 hours. So, you can expect a gradual glucose rise to take place. Now, if you're having that high fat meal early in the day, potentially you could offset it with extra exercise later on, or you can offset it with small rat- doses of rapid acting insulin later. But most of the time, we're having those high fat meals in the evening, and it kind of it makes it really challenging to manage glucose overnight. So, that's again where pump therapy can be so useful.
0: Yeah, the I, systems,
1: I, the automated systems that you know, the hybrid closed loops that mm-hmm. adjust basal automatically, can help a little bit with those. Uh, some of them are robust enough that they will increase the insulin sufficiently to keep things fairly close to normal overnight. But sometimes, if it's if there's enough fat in the meal, even the, the pump's own adjustments aren't enough. The glucose will still rise a bit.
0: Oh wow. Yeah, I didn't know that those have only recently come into the market here. So, there's a few people that have them. Um, but it's it's still very very new. So, so yeah, I didn't I thought I was actually going to ask you that question about how they would hold up against movie popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I can tell you from experience not so well. I still have to do a lot of the decision making. Okay. making of adjustments. You know, some of the systems, some of these automated systems allow the user to make adjustments or tell it to be more aggressive or less aggressive for a while, mm-hmm. while others don't.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: it really depends on the system somebody's using. I mean, I love a system that gives me flexibility to customize things. Other people, they don't want to think about it. They just want it to do its, it's thing, do you know, it. not be as engaged. So that's the trade off.
0: Yeah. And something you mentioned earlier and because we're talking about protein and fat and all of this keto is it good for people with diabetes to have a keto diet that's full of meat and and fat?
1: You know the, the one advantage and it's a proven advantage of a very low carb diet is the blood sugars do tend to be more stable. We see fewer peaks and valleys in the glucose when people are following low carb or ketogenic diets. That's the only advantage. There are a number of disadvantages though. Uh, From a nutritional standpoint, it's not the best. Carbohydrate's a quick source of energy and people who don't eat carbs tend to have lower energy levels uh, than people who are having carbs on a regular basis. From a palatability standpoint, it's just not as pleasant either. Carbs are delicious. <laughs> you know, people like them. There's certain joys of life we're depriving people of if you tell them, you know, you can't eat carbs. And there's also the, the complicating factor of not knowing exactly when your blood sugar is going up. You know, if you're only eating protein and fat, you're going to get some rise in your blood sugar. You don't know exactly when. With carbs, it's more predictable. Uh, so you still have to dose for those foods, even if you're not eating carbs for the reasons I mentioned earlier. Uh, but the timing is, is a little bit trickier. And you know, there are some issues in, in children, I, I never recommend you know, very low carb diets. It's It's essential not only for physical development, physical well-being, proper nutrient absorption. There's also psychological benefits of of maintaining a near normal type of a diet like other people do. So I I think there's a lot of value in having carbs in one's diet, not unlimited. I don't think you don't want to go crazy with the carbs. I teach people who are really concerned about it, that you you can have carbs and have pretty stable glucose if you choose the right kinds of carbs. You know, there's this term, you probably heard glycemic index. Now that that's, it's a way of of uh, kind of summarizing how quickly a food is going to raise the blood sugar. High glycemic index foods cause the blood sugar to spike pretty quickly. Those are challenging. They're not impossible to manage, but they're challenging. The insulin has to be given well in advance, uh, and you're still going to get somewhat of a rise and then a drop. So high glycemic index foods include like cereals, breads. Uh, potatoes, especially white potatoes, rice, white rice, juices, most sweet candies. Those are the kind of foods that'll send the sugars up fast. But we also have a lot of carbs that are slower to digest. Those are the low glycemic index types of carbs. Popcorn is a good one. (laughs) It's Mm. like I mentioned before, all the fiber in the popcorn really slows down the rate of digestion. Legumes are very slow to digest. So foods with beans in them, really good to have. Nuts, very, they have carbs, but they're slow to digest. Uh, even pasta, particularly pasta that's slightly undercooked, still a little bit firm, very slow to digest. Whole grain pasta, very slow to digest. Uh, whole fruits, like apples, pears, slow to digest. Dairy products, such as milk even ice cream, they're relatively slow to digest. So you can have your carbs and still manage your glucose levels. You know, if you choose, pick and choose them you know, wisely, you know, not that you can never have the high glycemic index stuff. I still do. I mean, I eat cereal every morning, but I've, I've learned how to manage it. I've learned how to time my insulin properly. And earlier we were talking about like the perfect dose of insulin mm-hmm. it's, it's the amount and it's the timing. You can time your insulin to match when your blood sugar is going to be going up. Now you now you're in business. You don't time it properly, you're going to have problems.
0: Hmm. I'm impressed that you eat cereal. I, I I think I feel like cereal is kind of evil not so much for people people with diabetes if you get the insulin timed right then it's you know great but then when it's not timed right it's a disaster it is and yeah. i always can't help but wonder what is that doing to people with without diabetes because i think i feel like it must make our pancreas have to work that much more mm-hmm. to digest it yeah, so
1: because I'm not you a put huge out a fan lot of, of... in all at once. Yeah, and it's process. You got a healthy pancreas, it can handle it. Uh, interestingly, I've I've learned some cereals are better than others. Uh, if I eat something like cornflakes, my blood sugar will spike to kingdom come. It really goes up fast. If I have Cheerios, it's much more stable. You know, that's for me. It just I've just learned it it works much better. So there's a lot of individual differences. That's The one true. food yeah. I've still not figured out is bagels. I love bagels, mm-hmm. but bagels just seem to send my blood sugar higher than science should dictate they should. You know, I, mm-hmm. I can, again, break that bagel down to its bare molecules. I know exactly what it contains and I dose for It, it doesn't matter. It. The diabetes gods are out to smite me when I have bagels because I go up pretty high.
0: And you've tri- I'm, I'm sure you've tried many different types of bagels, different
1: places, different. I've just learned if I think it's got 60, I got a dose for 80 or 90. It's the only wow. way.
0: Wow. How interesting. Yeah, we have one place comes to mind. You can get bagels in the supermarket. There's one place that sells bagels here. And it's been a while. I don't remember how bad it was. Aaron is the same with the Cheerios. That was the only cereal that did not spike him. Mm-hmm. but because cereals are quite highly processed and you just, you know, it, it don't know. So I started I don't make Cheerios, but I make granola at home which mm-hmm. he likes and I just don't really buy the cereal anymore because again the the processed food. I'm not anti-cereal, but just when I start looking at certain foods and ingredients and even the quote-unquote healthy cereals were causing spikes or they market themselves as healthy, which Cheerios doesn't, plain Cheerios doesn't have added sugar, but they market themselves as healthy. But then the second ingredients is like sugar or something. So I just uh kind of stopped it to expose him to other things. Like he loves meat. I promote plant-based. He he still eats plant-based. Like we're having a complete full plant-based dinner, more vegetarian dinner tonight. Not not animal protein based, so
1: almost all vegetables are low yeah. on the glycemic index. There's a little bit of <clears throat> carb in every vegetable. You know, it's, it's not a lot, but it's also slow to digest. So veggies are a great thing to have. When we describe what someone's plate ought to look like when they're having healthy meals, instead of you know a big meat, a big starch, and you know, a little bit of veggie, we try to make half the plate vegetables. Mm-hmm and then modest portions of of the starch and the meat. I'm curious, what do you put in your granola?
0: I have the recipe on my website. I'll put it in the show notes for people listening, but I put usually oats, um, whatever I have available, but pumpkin seeds, um, almonds, like uh, sliced almonds, and pretty much anything grain and nut that I have that I kind of want to throw in and just mix it with a little bit of coconut oil and it can be monk fruit, or it could be like a little bit of maple syrup or something to give it some sweet taste to it. Or it might be like, there's some keto maple syrups. I've experimented with those and lay it out on a baking tray and put it in. I don't add dried fruit until after Aaron's not a huge, I mean, he is a big dried fruit fan, but not so much in his cereal. Like he loves Turkish dried apricots. They're amazing. Like the first time he discovered them, he just went nuts. And I was like, yeah, blood sugar is not gonna gonna like that. But but um but yeah, so we don't get spikes with with that.
1: Well the, the seeds, the nuts, the I assume they're what rolled oats. What yes, and, yep. and the oil you're adding, it's all very, very slow digesting food. And it kind of latches on to any little bit you've added that might digest quickly and slows it down too. So you've got a, a great formula or a nutritious, healthy, slow digesting breakfast. And it's far from carb-free. So that's, you know, people who are- oh, No, no, it's not carbs. Free. Yeah. You know, can have carbs and manage their glucose beautifully. And it's okay once in a while, indulge, you know, have something that'll spike your blood sugar. Once in a while, it's okay. You know, that's not going to cause any long-term damage if it's just now and then.
0: Yeah. And I I feel like also uh, kids that are growing up with diabetes, or even if adults, they've just been diagnosed, like they shouldn't fear food. They have to try, Mm -hmm. just like trying anything, whether it's like I'm thinking of Aaron started, has geometry this year. It's learning geometry for the first time. You're not going to get all the formulas and everything correct, you're going to fail. So that's how we learn. And then we fix it and correct it and do better next time.
1: Yeah. I I often describe diabetes self-management as trial and adjustment. That's that's all it really is. You try something, you see how it works, and you fine-tune the next time. And then even if you think you've got it figured out, you know the exact plan and formula. Like you said earlier, it ain't going to work every time. There's going to be situations where yeah, the diabetes gods are just out to smite you that day. <laughs> it's something. Yeah,
0: just when you get, get brave enough off. to change your adjustments, and then that'll go beautifully for a week or two, and then suddenly it's like a car crash. Yeah. So you
1: yeah, know, physical activity can affect things. Even the activity you might have done twelve hours ago can still be having an effect. Hormone levels are affecting things.
0: Yeah, like I feel a like a dozen we're having different all of Hormones in the
1: body that affect glucose control. So. It is too much to, to try to manage all at once. That's why we have this you know, 70 to 180 range or uh, you know, four to 10 millimole range that a lot of people work with. It, it's a broad range, but if you can stay in that range, the majority of the time, that's more than good enough to keep yourself healthy long term and feeling good today.
0: That's really good to hear. And I'm re- and I'm also really happy though, but you said also lifestyle has a lot to do with it. So anyone listening, I don't want you to like lay back and say, oh, "Okay, my blood sugar is good and then never exercise again." That is not, if I understand correctly, that is not what Gary is saying. Eat healthy, exercise, take care of yourself, sleep well, do all of those things too. We're just I focusing believe. on the one subject. Excellent. So Okay. Before we go, question for you: What's your favorite movie? Uh,
1: Casablanca.
0: Oh, okay. Good, good one.
1: Yeah, a lot not die. We just one-liners it. from that. I like the old black and whites, Humphrey Bogart movies.
0: Oh, S- nice. Cary
1: Grant. Cary, it was yeah. another another movie, a Cary Grant movie mm-hmm. called *Arsenic and Old Lace* that I
0: really like. Ah. So. Have you seen the? You probably have seen it, but have you seen *The Human Trial* yet?
1: Not yet, but it's on my watch list. I I do want to see it. Have you seen it yet?
0: Not yet. We're maybe by the time this episode, or probably before this episode airs, um, we're working to, we're partnering with someone to have it here. We'll, we're going to do a screening hopefully in the month of November. So we'll have some more. But I haven't watched it yet, and it looks really intense and emotional. And I kind of wish I would have watched it before, you know, going to watch it again, but. Um, but yeah, I'm super curious and excited to see it because it,
1: as a mom, you'll want to have lots of tissues handy.
0: I, I think so. Right. That's the thing if, as a mom. And I'm going there and, you know, working with the cinema and um, one of the foundations here. And then all these other moms are going to be there. So I think just I'll give everyone a complimentary box of tissues before we we come into the theater. Because who wow. who wouldn't love a cure?
1: I just got a shipment. I'm, I'm, I'm trying something for the first time. I ordered insulin from Canada.
0: Oh, you can do that in the U S yeah. That's exciting.
1: I mean, the, the price difference is unbelievable. I
0: know, I know we were in Canada before COVID and we, we went through the U S Aaron went to camp and then I knew we'd be going to Vancouver. So I could time everything just right where i had enough insulin that i brought with me from dubai to get through the trip in us not needing any doctors then we went up to vancouver then came back to the us so when i was in vancouver i stocked up again and i i didn't know what to expect i knew it would be over the counter but it was amazingly affordable mm-hmm. but i did need to get a doctor's prescription in the end because then we had a pump malfunction because we went whitewater rafting and there was a crack in aaron's pump and we had no idea it was there because of the case and he's in the front of the um the raft and his pump's like going crazy he's like mom it's really beeping i'm like it's fine and then when we <laughs> stop i'm like oh my goodness it's really beeping like something's wrong yeah. and the yeah, only concern they, yeah. with
1: this you know shipping the in is the the temperature is the temperature yeah
0: for temperature. sure so how so do they do that
1: to go, i'm gonna go examine the packaging and uh Make sure I'm going to use the insulin. Make sure it's 100%. Make sure it's okay.
0: The someone was telling me um, about. I mean, one of the major carriers that they do temperature control. Actually, it's one that's here, but not in U.S. Because they were shipping some food or something, um, or a supplement. They were shipping supplements from UAE to Saudi, and they said they were actually doing temperature control. So, if they requested it, I hope that it um, that it made it safely.
1: Yeah. Well, I'll find wow.
0: out. Interesting. Gary, uh, thank you so much. I think I feel like this season I've taken so much of your time already. Um, if you want to learn more from Gary or connect with his clinic um, or buy his book, we'll we'll put all of those links in the show notes so that you can know where to find him. Um, he's definitely worth following and definitely worth getting on his email list because it's always educational. Almost everyone that works with Gary or everyone has type one or has been affected or touched by type one in some way. So they're super expert. And also they share their graphs when they go eat different meals, which I find really fascinating and a lot of fun. And I, and, and it actually you learn a lot, too, when you read about, you know, everyone will go eat Chinese food and then they share how that goes. And it's really yeah. great.
1: We did a pie challenge last week. I think those are going to be posted shortly.
0: Oh, that's exciting. A pie challenge. Okay. So go. you want to go sign up for that one for sure. Okay. Thank you so much, Gary. It's always great to talk to you.
1: look forward to to talking
0: to you again soon. I just wanted to thank Gary again for joining us on the podcast for this episode and the previous episode we had in season three. It really means so much to us and our listeners to... Uh, have Gary's time and his insight and expertise. We always very much appreciate it. And we learn something new every time. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it, rate it, um, leave us some comments, leave us some love in Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. This helps other people find the podcast, find our guests and find quality information about their health, wellness, and diabetes. As always, I am so appreciative and so grateful for our listeners and everyone who supports us. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.